Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas national team and international club gear. Check out the new FC Dallas camo pre-match top or shop this year's Dallas burn gear available now. Don't miss out on the new jerseys and tops from Manchester United, Juventus, and PSG. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply and Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. If you like what you hear here, why not join us on the Patreon, give us some support, and help us keep Third Degree the Podcast and the website coming to you free. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome, hello, once again to another episode numbered... 170. 170 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hello, it is me, Peter. Hope you are well. And, of course, here via the miracle of the internet, first, recovering from COVID like a champ our buddy Dan Crook. Congratulations, Dan, on making it to the European finals. Thanks. I thought that was linked to COVID for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I predicted a Germany-England final, so there you go. I'm your lucky charm. First time for everything. (laughs) And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, and back from his own European vacation... I hope you were following him on the socials as he posted his photos of lovely weather and lovely scenes and awesome-looking food and drink, making us all very jealous. The amazing Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Yeah, I, I did a nice job, Peter, making it look a lot more fun than it was. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you recommend the uh, the European River Cruise to the pod listener i i would if it is in your price range because i will admit that this was not in my price range <laughs> oh i was gonna say boy yeah. i didn't realize the patreon was funding no, you so no hopefully. it did not the in-laws did the funding and i oh, okay i am very very grateful when i found out what it cost because it is definitely not in my price range um, wow okay. but it is uh super nice i mean it's awesome all right just real quick fun. what's the synopsis of where you went and where you ended uh, on a boat, Amsterdam to Basel, a bunch of different towns down the Rhine River, saw a bunch of castles, uh, went to Cologne, went to um, some small little villages, went to Strasbourg, all, all on there. Pretty cool. Yeah? Yeah. What was the coolest thing you saw? Like, what's the one most kick-ass memory you took away from it? Well, it happened to be in Cologne the day that AC Milan was playing FC Cologne. Oh, and uh, I wanted to go to the game, but our boat was leaving thirty minutes after the game, so I couldn't get it out. But we were we were sort of in the downtown square around the cathedral, you know, getting a tour of the cathedral, the cathedral, and going to a, a brew house, a bar, a, a beer house, and all the AC Milan fans were flooding the plaza and, and flooding the beer houses, as were the FC Cologne fans. So that was super cool. European excursion soccer vibe for about an hour and a half in the middle of my day that I wasn't expecting. So that as a soccer guy, that was a fun, even though I didn't get to go to the game, I was there for all the shenanigans going on in the plaza. Hmm. All right. Yeah. That does sound pretty kick-ass. All right, Dan, uh, the lionesses, that backheel goal was pretty awesome. 
Yeah, uh, just just don't mention a couple of sitters before it. Um, <laughs> she made up for it though. No, she fooled uh, them was, with trickery that, and shenanigans. That was a, that was a great performance. Uh, really happy to see an England team not disappointing. Man, I have enjoyed so much of this tournament. I talked about it on the radio show last weekend. I thought that England Spain game was just top notch. The France Germany game today was outstandingly entertaining. Um, man, if people aren't watching this tournament, you got to watch the final because England Germany is going to be just drama all the way around. It'll be great. It is the uh, re- the revisit of 1966, just in the opposite gender. And uh, the Russian linesman uh, unfortunately couldn't get a visa oh, to give well. us an offside goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is unfortunate. Um, okay, well, I don't mean to be burning up too much time with small talk and banter because I don't really know how I feel about the state of our little football club, Dallas, because I, I, I feel guilty, Buzz and Dan. I feel a little bit guilty that my attitude towards the team is a bit sour, despite the fact that they clung on to a really, really ugly uh, and pr- I think it's fair for me to say not necessarily wholly deserved 1-0 win um, uh, over the weekend. And I don't know, man. It's just especially doing it at Salt Lake, who had not lost at home all season. And I feel weird bitching about anything. But when you when you add that in and package it in with the results in Austin and the result before that and the fact they were on a 10-game winless streak, I, I just... My my arrows on this team are not pointed in any direction upwards. Yeah, um, I certainly think that there are times when winning ugly is important. And I think when you had no results in seven or whatever it was, you know, and, and RSL being as good as they are at home, as you say, not, hadn't lost a game all year. That was one of those moments where a really horrible <laughs> In, in terms of entertainment value, win the ugliness of that win could actually really be good for your team because this is a young team. It is a team that needs to learn some things about soccer and about itself, and um, and hopefully they can take something from that and, and sort of take you know they have been blowing leads and they didn't blow this one, so you hope that it's something they can take forward and go forward with. Because really, honestly, like the way the team's playing of late, this is probably the way we all should have thought the team was going to be coming into the season, right? I mean, this is yeah. the, the sort of bottom of the playoffs fighting clawing. Was the, this is the team we actually expected. That beginning of the year team is not the team we expected. So, you know, this is probably what this team really is. And and they need to, they need to find these moments and try to find a way to take things forward and, and go forward and become better than they have been. And hopefully this is a step in that uh you know, it's a series of steps, Peter, taken to achieve a you know an eventual goal. <laughs> you know, just take- say it, Buzz. <laughs> yeah? okay. Just say it. It's a fucking process. <laughs> Dan, uh, I think that's part of the reason why emotionally I'm so conflicted. Is Buzz is right that this is the team currently that we all kind of predicted at the beginning of the season. But I'll be damned if I didn't get my little uh, little PD hopes up uh, after that good start and kind of smart play and and some of the good goal scoring they were doing and awesome defending and. But uh, you've written some reviews of the last few games and I think you uh, dead on nailed it, Dan. This this team's got a lot of problems to resolve. I mean, not talking at all about the game and uh, write up about the game itself. 
because Correct. the game was that bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it was. It kind of it bugged the hell out of me um, after that Austin game, which gave me COVID. Uh, test, <laughs> I tested. I, I tested positive an hour after that game finished. Um, well, I was, I was sitting, I was like, okay, I'm going to do my takeaways. And then I felt like shit and I didn't do the takeaways. Um, but the first thing was going to be, Austin's like this little grind-out team, right? They frequently lose on lose the little XG uh, battle, but they are, or they were at the time, six, uh, six wins, three draws, four losses from those games. They, they are grinding out games they have absolutely no right to win. Uh, the draw, they... You know, I mean, they really should have uh, turned the screw a little bit and 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 won the game at the end. But if you take the chances and everything, they had no right to even tie that game, and they did it. Uh, and that's something FC Dallas has to do, and that's exactly what they did at RSL. And you know, that's where you need Jesus being a little bit more clinical, being more efficient up front. You need. Uh, guys like Paul Ariola kind of playing up to form. You need Alan Belasco on 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 his game in the right frame of mind. Um, that all those little things have to click, and especially because what we keep talking about this this paper thin roster that just has no backup for anyone, and you know you've got guys starting who probably shouldn't be starting already, and it's you know it, it's. This is kind of where the hope starts to fade, right? Because the uh, the the window is is rapidly moving on, and other teams are signing players, and we haven't even heard a peep. Yeah, uh, put a pin in the uh, signing department for just a second, because that is one of the things I wanted to talk about. Because we've we've harped about this a lot, guys, which is the the thinness, the paper thinness, as you say, Dan, of this roster, and I do find it a bit amazing that in this game in particular, in the the Salt Lake game, I feel like the entire game oddly hinged on Ensebling. And I'm still not sure I understand what caused Ensebling to have to go out of the game. I, I've, I've read multiple times that people have reported something about altitude sickness, but I couldn't tell if that's actually, or if anybody knows if that's actually what the what it was. I guess that's kind of a moot point. It was just that how amazingly... This game shifted, or Dallas and and Nico went into this weird shell immediately after uh, he had to come off because Nico really didn't have good options. Yeah, when with Brandon Hurt, there's nobody really on the bench that you that he trusts to come in at eight. Um, the other player that plays that position, and many people may not be aware of this, um, since Thomas is not on the bench, is actually Khalil. Khalil Alman and has been playing eight a lot in training, um, partially to get, you know, opportunities for playing time, but then, you know, never, never got those opportunities for playing time. Um, you know, it, it underscores the fact that there isn't, there are some deficiencies still in this roster. Now, specifically on Siki, they are, um, in, you know, investigating, trying to figure out what's going on. He definitely left the game with symptoms that are of altitude sickness, you okay. know, the lightheadedness and vomiting. But when you combine that with the game in Houston, where you know five minutes into the game, Nico told me he was turning to his training staff and go and saying to them, "What's wrong with Siki? There's clearly something wrong." I watched that Houston game, and it was two, three games ago now. But the main way you could tell to my eye that something was wrong with him is that Memo 
Rodriguez look like a superstar, and that guy's terrible. So <laughs> clearly, they have there's something wrong with Siki. If you get lifted twice in the 20 minutes into two out of four games, there's obviously something going on. So they're trying to figure out what the deal is. You know, I, they clearly don't know. You know, ah. it could be something diet. It could be something he's he ate. It could be maybe he's sick and they can't figure it out. I mean, clearly they're concerned about it. Um, you know, it, we'll find out eventually if, if they figure out what's going on with the kid because clearly it was it was a case of. You know, in the morning, apparently before the game, coach told me he was having trouble eating. He couldn't keep anything down. Have you guys ever had altitude sickness? It's, no. It's it's kind of like you feel like you have a flu coming on. I've had it a couple times. You feel like you've gotten a flu, like a 24-hour flu. You have trouble eating. You get lightheaded, and you want to throw up. That's what it's like. Hmm. You know, so all the symptoms are there for that's what it was. It, uh, RSL is at altitude. But when you have two performances like this in a relatively tight window – it does raise questions. So, um, the, so there's a double factor of questioning here with this move. One, there's not enough options that they ate. You know, the, the one guy you had, you didn't trust enough to use him. And then also, what's going on with this kid, you know, and, and when you have these kind of circumstances happening with him. So... Well, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I would have I would have told you the reason why he got subbed out so early in the Houston game was because he had he had given the ball away twice on the two Houston goals. Yeah, he was terrible. No, he was clearly horrible, and that's what coach was turning to his tra- training staff saying, "Is he hurt? What happened? Why is he doing this? What's ah. going on?" And they pulled him out. That they subbed him out, and he was upset. You know, coach said he t- he had a really nice conversation with him like later on, and they've talked about it. You know, and 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 they really honestly think that there was something physically wrong with him that they haven't pinpointed from that Houston game because then like the next game was the New York game where by all reports, he was phenomenal and played the best game of his career. Yeah. So, you know, clearly there's something they think the coach thinks, and this is what he told me today. They think there's something happening physiologically speaking, and they got to figure out what it is. They don't, they don't know because it's just, you know, it's happening on the fly here. Sometimes it's a mystery when you have things like this. It reminds me of, do you, I don't know if you remember this story about Ryan Giggs was having back problems for a while, back earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. They finally figured out it was his car. It was like the seat in his car. Oh, it was I've like heard his that story, guy, yeah. right? So they, they, they told him to get a new car, and his back problems went away. So it's like you never know. It could be like he's, he's or, maybe his pillow's made out of down, and he's allergic to it, or, or you know, or he drank too much. I don't know. You know who or knows? What shagging his brother's yeah. wife. Well, no, that was later. <laughs> a, little, a little too aggressively. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's a totally different Ryan Giggs story. I'm just talking about the backstory. Did but I make anyway. Dan laugh? Did I make Dan laugh? <laughs> yeah, Dan laughed. Yeah, I was talking about Welsh people not shagging sheep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, I'm part Welsh. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, Velcro gloves. Okay, stop it. <laughs> You're from rough. Luton for Christ's sake. Uh, okay, so yeah, it's a it's a weird deal because uh, Inseblin goes off the field, and even Steve commented about this: is that Nico went into what appeared to be at least for a little bit of time, at least to I think it lasted the rest of the first half and into the second. At least in my notes, I thought they were playing a four four two with Paxton down on the left and Velasco up top with uh, Jesus and. Any semblance of attack, and not that they had a lot leading up to that moment, um, but at least they were creating a few opportunities. And again, uh, this is another scenario 
where Dallas is literally given the ball on, on an unforced turnover multiple times in their opponent's half of the field, and they just can't turn it into opportunities or finish the opportunities until they finally do it in that one moment where uh, Pax and um, Jesus connect for the goal. Yeah, they they were triggering really well on the on the press on the light press, um, you know, and taking their opportunities. Like if you look at the five minute intervals of that game, the you know the first 20, 25 minutes, they have more than their share of of opportunities and chances and possession, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then as you say, Siki went out and it went away, and it's like it completely destroyed everything. And they they managed to play out the first half in somewhat of a relative decent order, but the second half was complete bunker you know, low block, just compress the game and kill the game. Uh, and it is quite effective in a lot of ways. I mean, they are selling 25 shots, which would make you blanch and go, oh my God, what a horrible performance. But the pro- most of the shots came from range. Nine of them were blocked. They had 11 shots just go wild off target. You know, that is the purpose of the low block, is to make people shoot from way outside where your keeper has plenty of chance to see him coming and players can block him. You know, Paz was the man of the match for me anyway, and he had some good saves and he did bail him out a couple of times and he's the reason they ended up being able to get the win. Mm-hmm. But as, as these tactics go, it functioned like it was supposed to. The worry is the thing to come back to, which is like the guy that they had to go to the, this coach as near as we can tell. And even from talking to the guy, he talks about players who can, are in the flow of the game and understand the concepts and understand the, what they're trying to do. You know, it's the it's the brain of the player that we've talked all season about is important to this guy. And so he goes with, uh, you know, guys that he knows can play. And in that point, all he's got left on the bench, if you look at it, he has he brought Edwin in in that scenario. The other two guys that he plays some are Hara and O'Brown, who are forwards. Nanu and Tafari are backs. So, like, he has no one on the bench but Edwin to bring into the midfield. Clearly, that's a problem. Not that we don't like Edwin. But it's the only guy you had available to bring into the central midfield, and that's that's a, that's not good. And so that's no. the real issue, regardless of whether you like the game plan or not. And I thought it worked really effectively until they lost Siki, you know. So, it, but it, that is the point, though, yeah, right? Like this yeah. entire team, amazingly, is almost at this point halfway through the season, almost hinged entirely <laughs> on this yeah. late draft pick rookie. Yeah. I mean, you know, until Brandon comes back, yeah, Paxton has no backup. Brandon's out. You have Edwin and Facundo and Siki are the only three midfielders that he uses other than Paxton, right? He doesn't use anybody else in there. Okay. So it's like they, they have two backups for three positions, you know, and one of them's hurt and the other one got sick. It's all you got left. That's a problem. All right. So I, we asked the question a couple weeks ago. I'm going to ask again, is there any movement on Thomas Roberts or is he just persona non grata? And maybe at the end of the day, as much as we love the kid and hype him, maybe it's Thomas and not in the coach. Well, I talked to the coach in general about um, why he has such a short bench. Um, and he talks a lot about, Players being uh, the term he uses in a, is in a rhythm with their game with the game, which is mean you and how you get in a rhythm with the game is that you have to be involved and you have to be around, you have to be participating, and that means scrimmages or it means going and playing, you know, in, in North Texas. For whatever reason, Thomas is not getting those opportunities since he got back, so he's not in this rhythm. He's not in a position to be able to come into games. Shun has the same problem. Shun being gone a lot for call ups. 
in and out. He's never gotten the flow. He was gone a little bit because they thought they had his sale lined up and that fell through. Yeah. So in the end, he's picking guys like because I asked him why he had such a short rotation. And he th- he said that part at least is because they're really healthy. And he said other teams use more guys because they have more guys get hurt. And he's only using the, the guys that he are. He's using the guys that he says are the best able to give them a chance to win. And so that's the bottom line. I translate that into he's using the guys he trusts, you okay. know, and Thomas just hasn't worked his way into that trust yet. And I do, I think at some point, look, I think Thomas is a phenomenal talent, but at some point, this is like, if you count Lucci and you count the coach in Austria and now you count Nico, it's like the third coach that's not picking him. And so you wonder, what is it? Why does he not get picked? Because I watch him in training. He looks good, you know, I, and I don't have an answer to it, frankly. Mm. Okay, but and I and I promise we're going to get to the transfer window question here in a second. But what I what I want to understand is this is the thing that I'm starting to get frustrated with Nico is he seems to almost um, I, I I understand that he is making substitutions. I believe in an effort to save players long term. Yeah. But when he subs Paxton Pomacall out or he makes a, a defensive sub. I almost feel like they, it's like there's subs that he's making because he like he decided before the game he was going to do it and and it, and be the game the game scenario itself be damned and I I feel like he's hurting the team when he takes these guys off and puts lesser guys on. Does that make any sense? Yeah, uh, I, you know, he he had, he for 100% for sure is aggressively man managing minutes on players. That's true for sure. There was about six players today that basically took the day off. For example, you know, they did a little recovery type running, you know, just a little keep the engine running kind of stuff, you know, but they didn't they didn't really participate. So it's the same guys you see getting subbed out. You know, it's just look, we're looking at another week next week with three games in it. So, you know, I don't I don't I think that he's making the best choices that he can with the guys that he has at his disposal that he believes in. Because, again, if you go back to the bench in the RSL game, right, Khalil right. hasn't played. Quinones is a guy that they want to try and develop, but they don't really trust him all that much yet. I mean, Mauer's a keeper. You're not bringing him in. Benny is a guy that Coach really, really likes and wants to be able to reward him with playing time, but you can't really use him, like, late in a game kill. That's not his thing, you know. So it's like you you have Tafari, you have Nanu, you have Hara, and you have Ubrion and Edwin. Those are that's it. Those are the five guys. So it's like yeah, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so after the game in Salt Lake, because if I go back and look at the run of uh, of the you know the the winless run up to the Salt Lake game, one of the things that I keep thinking about game after game is like all right, these substitutions don't seem to be helping the team in many instances, and it certainly isn't helping the team in terms of control. And I'll use Paxton as an example. I I feel like every time he takes Paxton off the field, the team does not improve, and I do wonder at some point is. Is Paxton not able to go 90 minutes, or does Nico A, think he can't, or B, is just trying to save him long-term? And I did wonder in the post-game comments, Paxton was asked about what he needs to improve on, and his first answer is the following, quote, yeah, I, I think just making sure that Nico can continue to rely on me and improve the amount of minutes I can go and go 90. And I, I don't know if that is Paxton in a very diplomatic way saying, 
I need to be playing 90 minutes. I think I can play 90 minutes. I don't know why Nico doesn't think I can play 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but my read is that non-specific to the packs in, in this particular moment, my read is that uh, he's aggressively trying to manage minute loads on guys, you know, that he's trying to think long terms. He's trying to think about the long season. And Paxton is a guy who uh, has a relentless engine. So when Paxton says, I need to be able to go 90 minutes, maybe Paxton's trying to say that he needs to get to a point where he can play 34 games for 90 minutes. I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't want Paxton to play 34 games for 90 minutes, but maybe Paxton does. You know, so. well, no, but don't we? But don't we want Paxton in a game when they're a goal ahead or a, or need a goal? I mean, I feel like Paxton's that player that can be a difference maker, even if he's not actually scoring the goals himself. Again, I, I mean, Dan, do you think this team gets better when Paxton comes off the field? No, I mean, it's the sub pattern is just this. It's just a regression through the game, right? It's okay. You know, it's setting up. You kind of mentioned it's almost as if Nico pre-plans it and just goes, you know, to hell with the uh, to hell with how the game's going. This is just kind of where I'm getting to. Wherever it's like the okay, we're going to go to a double pivot. We're going to pull Jesus back and kind of take him out of the attack because there's no one else to fill a midfield slot, which means Hara goes in. Hmm, need an attacker. Oh, let's change the right back. Uh, oh, wait, we've got an extra sub. Let's just throw Benny in for two minutes. There's no real... Or, you know, or throw an extra um, centre-back on. There's no... The problem with, with Nico is his halftime adjustments are phenomenal. His in-game adjustments just seem exactly just scripted. Like, it's just kind of going through the motions. I think it feels particularly off for Paxton, Peter, because there's nobody else who can start in that spot. You know, he has to have Paxton. Right. There, there are guys, there's there's convoluted ways he's trying to make it feel like he can bring Paxton out of games, but there's nobody that can start in that spot. Like Brandon and Siki can both start at the other spot. Faku and, and Evan can both start in that spot. Yeah, center back, Tafari can start a game. Nandu can start at right back. Ema can start at left back. Nobody else can start in Paxton's spot. There is not another player. So if Paxton gets hurt, the thing is just uh, gone. The whole thing right. is gone. He has to redo everything and change the formation and all kinds of insane crap. So it, that's why to Paxton is, to me, such an egregious example of we really have to protect his minutes because if you if you lose him, if he breaks down, you know, the wheels are coming off this thing in a colossal train wreck of a fashion. Okay, so that, and again, I, I promise I'm going to get to the transfer window question, but this leads me to this question related to the Salt Lake game. So if Nziki Sebling comes off the field, why doesn't Nico just shift the team into a double pivot 4-2-3-1? Uh, That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that seemed like the obvious solution to me. Now, maybe somebody will tell me it's because of how Salt Lake was playing. Like, that wouldn't have been an advantageous formation to play against Salt Lake. But I certainly think it that was at least a better formation. Uh, I, I don't know. It just seemed to make more sense to me than what he rolled out for the next however many minutes it was. 
Well, they do. Salt Lake does play a four-two-three-one, so you know he he may like he may not like lining up in his own double pivot against that, you know, because then you end up with one of their deeper players all of a sudden is free and coming higher and overloading even more than they were. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I haven't asked him that question, so I'm trying to just kind of guess there. But, um, you know, he 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 seems mightily ingrained in a four-three-three. I I only remember them doing a four-two-three-one on for you know five minute stretches here and there, late in games. It's not the the only time we ever really see it is when Harazon and Jesus drops into the hole, and then we see it a little bit. But usually it's more with Paxton. It's usually more of a six-eight deep look, not a six-six um, look. You know, a Facundo Edwin look. Right. It probably just feels there's too much deficiency there. Which is weird because I don't know that's any worse than using Faco's an eight, which is what he was doing for a while. <laughs> I shot didn't like either, but it probably—I was kind of wondering the same thing at the time. It's like, why not just rotate it and let Paxton tend it up? But you know, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, well, it, it seemed obvious to me, but I'm not the coach, and I'm sure that yeah. guy gets paid to know a lot more about this than I'll ever forget. So, or forget more than I'll ever know, and. Uh, I guess uh, we'll have to trust him on that one. Usually he has very specific ideas about shapes and stuff. You know, like there's even a game where they flipped, I don't know if you remember this, they flipped Paxton and Brandon, Mm -hmm. and it had to do with the kinds of shape of the balls that they were able to play in from the opposite positions. I mean, so he's micromanaging little things like that. So I promise if you ask him, there probably is a reason. I just have no clue what it is. Okay. It's also getting it out of him. Uh, yeah, there is. That oh, getting too. him to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the record, it can be tough. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the thing that I keep uh, promising to get into, which is uh, we're enjoying watching all of the noise about other major league soccer teams making moves and additions or subtractions and additions or additions by subtraction or whatever it is. Um, and by the way, I'm officially pissed that Luis Suarez did not go to LAFC because I really wanted to revive the <laughs> historically awesome this league is rigged uh, bit from back in the uh, uh, MLS version 1.0 that we used to love so much as Dallas Burn fans. Um, yeah, they have uh, an open DP spot, by the way. I, I know, that's, and that's it just it, conti- it really when the when the Luis Suarez news <laughs> start, you know, when Taylor Twelman started tweeting out that he was going to LAFC, man, everybody, the, man, the, I just had to start flexing those old muscles. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, the, the coaching staff thought he was because they were t- we were talking about it after the practice today. Wow! They were like, and then some of the social guys said that it came out that he wasn't, but they were like, oh man, yeah. That's how I know they have a DP spot available because Nico told me that. Well, no, we all, yeah, because that was the big drama was how they f- figured out how to get Kalini and, and Bale on the team without taking up uh, DP spots. That was Amazing. the, the yeah. drama behind that and the and the Philly GM calling them out on it. Yeah. So I think that all happened while you were gone, Buzz, so maybe you weren't aware that Most that, of it. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that was going down. All right, so here we are, and, and, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think one of us here, it may have been me, it may have, may have been one of you guys that said, we're going to find out the ambitions of... Of this team and this front office with how they treat this window and even I being probably the pessimist did were not prepared for them to make no moves whatsoever I thought if they were going to do anything we'd get another young unknowns you know South you know Bolivian kid or something that they had high hopes for that we may never see actually on a field or they send to North Texas or something but to, for them to do nothing at this point I'm actually somewhat surprised by 
Yeah. Do you want to um, do you want to do what we think they should do first, or do you want to get right into what they're actually going to do? No, we can. Um, well, no, uh, I don't care. You, you, it's your pod. You decide. <laughs> okay, because I don't think you're going to like the answer for what they're going to do. Well, I think I know what the answer is now. <laughs> I wrote it down. You want to hear it? Here's the yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular goal. That's their official plan. In other Wait, words, is it's it... a process. Oh. <laughs> did you just read me the definition of process <laughs> yeah. out of the dictionary? Yeah, I did. <laughs> You're a jerk. I know. Here's the thing. Uh, I talked to both Zanata and Nico today, and the bummer answer is that they're pretty much up against the cap uh, in terms of roster and their ability to do anything. So that means essentially they pretty much have to get rid of somebody to do something. And they were about to get rid of somebody and it fell through. All right. So yeah. wait, they were about, Oh, they were getting ready to get rid of Shun. Shun. Yeah. So the other part of the answer is um, coach does not want to, generally speaking, Bosonata and Nico said that they are happy with the pieces that they have for right now and that they don't want to do a move or add something unless that piece will 100% for sure, absolutely, unquestionably make them better. So that player has to be basically a walk-in starter or a very competitive sub that's going to push somebody to the wall for their spot. So that you're not looking at any kind of like, based on what they're telling me, you're not looking at like a bring somebody up from North Texas, sign a new like U22 initiative. They they know that they need to get pieces to win games because Mm -hmm. not, not competing and not. So like adding guys just to add guys doesn't, do any good at this point they have guys in the pipeline to develop right they're clearly not playing right now to develop they're making choices in the lineups that are based on winning now not winning next year or two years from now so i don't think that i don't think there's going to be any moves this window now zanata specifically said that the european window is open longer than our window is hint hint wink wink nudge nudge so if for those of you at home listening, that means players can leave longer than they can come in, right? Right. So if you are already up against the cap and you're already up against it with slots and you at some point you want to try and get better, that means that you've got to get some stuff out of here. So we're looking at, I'm pretty convinced, we're looking at riding out this season with what they have attempting to move out whether it be this window through sales or this winter when contracts expire to clear space to then do things for next season this winter so that's that based on the multiple conversations today and the facts that they're under that they clarified about cap room etc etc and not having, I asked about, you know, the discretionary whatever's, and they like, they're like, we did a lot of moves this winter. We don't really have much left. Okay, so this is it, basically. This is what it is. Yeah. All right. So, like I and said, I, I'm not I, well, the answer. 
Well, yeah. no, but I think that does it. It drives it. It kind of uh, gets into the the point that we were talking about a few minutes ago with LAFC, which is wait a second. Dallas is a mishmash of uh, uh, mid-tier MLS stars, a couple of guys that are at the, towards the top of the league in terms of notoriety and, and stats, and a whole bunch of homegrowns and stuff. But LAFC, I mean, I, I, my sense is, is if I was trying to go through the LAFC roster, the value or what they're paying those guys has to be more on average than everybody else on the FC Dallas roster. And yet they some still somehow still added Bale and yeah. Kalini to the team, not even as DPs. And, and, and then you do begin to wonder if the Philly GM was right, that there's just some sort of uh, incredible loopholes or looking the other way that must be going on to, 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 for that to go on. And for you to tell me that Dallas considers themselves butt up against the cap that they can't do anything. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't well, make any sense. Well, you remember that Dallas already used their one buyout, right? Yeah, they used on Dwyer. <clears throat> yeah, so you you have you would have to uh, get guys to do like mutual contract terminations and such like that, you know. So I mean, there's ways to do it. It just doesn't seem that it's in the cards here, right? Because yeah, you know, they kind of got. One thing uh, Nico said in passing about the idea of adding players that can help, that make them better, is he said not pointing at any particular player or pointing at any particular people. He said, you know, there have been mistakes made in the past where guys that they've brought in have not hit, you know, (laughs) and so they've had... You know, let's talk about dancing around, yeah. shitting on your boss, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> or players on your roster, even still, right? He yeah. can't go; those three dudes right over there, get rid of, you know. But that's basically where they're at. It's like you know, there's you have you can look at Austin, right? They just can a DP, you know, but they got the guy to they had to wait around long enough for the guy to agree to a mutual termination and not play him. I don't know that Dallas is going to do that. I don't know that the Hunts are willing to let a guy rot when they're paying him $3 million a year. You know what I mean? I think they're more likely to figure out a way to use him. Yeah, but here's the deal. And tell me if I'm wrong here, Dan or Buzz or whatever, but... You know, yeah, you overpaid for Hara, but Hara's salary, only a portion of that counts towards the cap. Yeah. And I think this is where people get into... There are owners that are willing and able to to go above and beyond the call of duty and maybe that's how some of these teams are you know with their gam and tam and their willingness to overspend uh, outside of the the maximum amount that's how they're pulling this off and it and i don't get the sense that dallas is maximizing all the tools at their disposal and i'm and i and i do wonder as as uh, much as the hunts have increased their willingness to spend if if you know, if they could just write another check or two to bring in better players, but at the but then again, to your point, Buzz, is it really worth spending all that money just to try yeah. to salvage this particular season versus looking towards the long view? Well, if you look at it this way, technically, Dallas has nine players that are DPS, and they just buy them all down. Right, right. So Hara, Jesus, Paul Ariola, Alan Velasco, Matt Hedges. Bakunu Cunyon, Paxapamical, Jose Martinez, and Nanu are all above the DP level in total compensation. Right. So, you know, it, 
that's why when they're like we're up against it is because they have you know, nine guys that are DPS, and then they have guys that are getting paid a lot of money that aren't playing. You know, Brandon's losing out to Sticky, and he's on four hundred. O'Brien's a bench player at four hundred. Shun is a not playing at all at basically four hundred. Ema, somewhat reasonably, three hundred is for a starting bat. Rights back is fine. If he'd have lost out to Ema, that to Nanu, that would have been too much. Farfan's fine. So it's like you, you still got some misses. Even if it's guys, even if all those guys are decent, there's still just all that cap money is tied up. I mean, every one of those nine dudes is a full six hundred k, as far as I know. Maybe Jesus isn't because he's a young DP. And, and so might be um, Velasco. Those are weird, those young DPs. But nonetheless, those are all, you know, pretty max cap hits, you know, so you can see how easily it all gets eaten up. Yeah. You know, hmm. I mean, I take them at their word that they're up against it with the cap. I, oh, I, I, I definitely think they don't want to sacrifice this season either. You know, like you could go out and get a guy for a couple million dollars and then you're stuck with a guy for a couple million dollars again. You know what I mean? They want to, they want to get it right. So. Yeah. I think that's where I kind of get stuck in the thinking about this is, is the value of this season versus the value of understanding that these guys know what their numbers look like. And there may be a larger plan in play. I, I come back to the idea and I'm actually on board with this plan, what they're doing because I don't think you can win this season. I mean, we've talked about this over and over and over again, right? It, it depends on whether you think this is a cup season or not. And I 100% no. don't think it is. No, so I'm, I'm fine with rotting out the season. If you can sell a guy or two or three over the next three months, great. If you can get to this winter and have two or three of these high-priced contracts disappear, you know, Nanu's loan ends, Frank O'Hara's contract, we pray, actually is ending. <laughs> you know, I'm only 98% sure his contract's ending. You know, for me, Martinez is too much. You know, I, I you know, you got a, you got a lot of work to do still, and you got to, even if you just look at the bottom of the roster, you got like twelve dudes down there that aren't playing, or is it thirteen? I can't remember. It's a lot. So there's a lot of dead wood down there too. So you know, you got to figure out a lot of stuff with this roster. Hmm. I'm over. I'm talking too much again, man. I'm sorry. No, we haven't heard from you in a while. It's good to hear your your voice and your thoughts. Dan, you want to throw anything else in here? No, I think uh, so. Demon Gleam enough about me piling on. <laughs> well, okay then. So uh, they have the big Star Wars night game coming up uh, Saturday night, 8 p.m. It's the drone show. It's the fireworks. And then I have a feeling it may turn into the most riotous melee since the Vuvuzela giveaway at the Cotton Bowl circa late 90s. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but they're giving away uh, plastic lightsabers oh, wow. with FC Dallas branding on it. Now they're the kind of uh, lightsabers that like collapse on itself. So when you flick it out, that's what extends it. Oh yeah. And I just, uh, maybe I'm the asshole, but I have a feeling that that's a really, really bad idea because <laughs> I could see people, kids bonking people on the head, walking through the concourses and in the stands and hitting each other. I, this just, that just seems like a really ridiculous idea, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. There's 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 a Paul Ariola bobblehead with a lightsaber involved somehow too in this game. I, I think. Yeah, I I don't know. Saw anyway, that on Twitter. 
okay, so that's coming up. Uh, and and so, uh, Buzz, were you able, ever able to definitively decide if Velasco is or is not facing a yellow card suspension? I was able to definitively to figure that out because I, they updated the suspension list today, and he is not suspended. Uh, but, okay. Yeah, he, he, is, he has, however, reappeared on the um, could-be-suspended list. Um, it's, so if he gets a, a yellow in the LA game, he's suspended. Uh, yes, yeah, and it, there's three people on there now, and it's um, I just put this Sylvania. on the Discord. Yeah, for, Jesus Ferreira. and uh, Brandon Cervania. Of course, Cervania's <laughs> hurt; he's the only player hurt. So Jesus and Velasco are the ones you're worried about. So. What is the severity and and length uh, timeout for Cervania? Uh, he's out until he stops having pain. He has some sort. I think it's a rib thing. And effectively, as long as it still hurts when he moves, he can't come back. I'm, I'm not 100% clear what the, the issue is, but but basically Coach said that he, like every day they basically run him out on the side, and as long as it still hurts, he can't come back. So I don't know how long it'll be. All right. Well, so we talked about you, you kind of exposed for us what they told you they're going to do, but Buzz, do you have a an idea of what you think they should be doing? Yeah. That I, differs from that? Yeah. Well, not 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 in the sense of like I'm okay waiting to clear out your roster. I'm okay with that. I, I don't want them. I don't want them to do something that um, would hurt them long term in order to try and make a move for now. Because I honestly think you know, getting in or not of the playoffs this year is not that important to me. Uh, I would actually prefer that they were playing some guys and developing some guys more that they're not. <laughs> you know, even if it meant sacrificing the playoffs, because uh, I think you need to get Tafari more time. You know, I think you need to get um, Edwin more time. I think you need to get, um, for that matter, find out what Thomas has or Benny has. You know, you got to play some of these guys and find out what they have. You know, you can't you can't just do training. You know, you got to get games for some of them. Um, unfortunately, you know that doesn't really play in the public. You know, you can't really be like. We're sacrificing this season to develop. Nobody likes that. It's hard to sell tickets when you do that. So I understand why they don't. The The biggest the biggest question comes down to, can, can you do something mid-season to help yourself for the next two or three seasons? And, and I don't know that there's anything, given the current limitations of the cap, I don't know that there's anything you could do. Like your best chances might be like Che coming back, you know, and playing him in some, that might be, you know, things like that. I, I don't think there's, I think you're too handcuffed with your current roster to be able to actually do anything to improve the team significantly, you know, because the spots where we have a little bit of weakness is like Paxson's backup. Like in order to get a guy who could actually help you there, it would be really expensive, you know, to, to solidify right back. Well, you get Nanny's burning 800 K you know, you can't, what are you going to do with that? Just, you know, I mean, so you're kind of, you know, we'd like to see some death of the nine. Well, you got 3 million on your backup there, you know, when you like, we'd like to see another wing come in. Well, those are expensive. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, the, the, the things I want them to do, I, I, after having the conversation with Donata today, I really don't think they have the capacity to do them now. I think they're basically stuck waiting to the off season. And so I'm okay with that. I, there's no reason to panic and there's no reason to go, you know, you can point at other teams making panic moves here and there. You know, you can, if you can figure out a way 
over the next two or three months to get rid of a couple contracts. If you can sell some guys that you don't, that you know, you don't want, like apparently Shun, you know, you can put yourself into position to do good things this, this winter, which is the better window for MLS anyway. Right. I mean, how often have we seen a good summer signing here in Dallas? I mean, other people can do it, but Dallas for some reason can't. So I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. All right, so let me ask an, an, uh, an unfathomable question. And I know they lost the other day in a, in a rather exciting game against Red Bull. But considering the resiliency of Austin and watching them fight back to get the tie against uh, Dallas a, few, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the inevitability of the way that game played out, and the fact, you know, Nanu's turnover and... And, and, and the thing that really stuck out for me of that game was is that Austin clearly went out and had made some really good acquisitions of guys that had time under their belt. They're veteran. They're more veteran players, not an old team, not like a like a like an old um, NYCFC team, the original you know, those really old teams of veteran guys, but a nice mix of guys. Um, and what 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 do you think it would do? If Austin somehow, I'm not saying win it, but made it to MLS Cup in year two, and what would be the blowback or the rea- or the or the or the smack of reality with the entire model for Dallas if Austin was able to pull that off in the second year of existence? Well, I actually think we've already seen that, um, not on the field. I think we've seen it in the rest of the organization that Austin basically is what they've done off the field has been a slap in the face to both Dallas and Houston. In fact, I think both those organizations have responded aggressively, you know, and are attempting to do things. I mean, like just this week, we're right. We're talking about the season ticket renewals have gone out and they're talking about, you know, two year uh, price locks because like the East stands are coming down and things like that, you know, unofficially. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think that the wake-up calls have already happened. And then I think, you know, on field, um, there's probably some recognition that Austin's done some good squad building, you know, and I think they're probably Dallas has recognized that too. You know, think I can – I hate to harp on this idea, but when we go back to the beginning of the season, how emphatically they talked about how this was not going to be an overnight turnaround – and how the, the way the team is right now is what we all actually expected. And that this early season success actually was like, in a way, almost was perhaps not helpful because people got really excited about, look how great this team is. And you're like, no, dude, this team's got all kinds of problems. Stop with that. You know, and so I, I, I would imagine that they're well aware of exactly what the, the differences between their team and Austin's team is. You know, it is... They they have put together a very solid team. They built that team really well. You know they they also have managed to get out of a bad contract when they uh, you know that Dallas doesn't seem to be able to do so. Well, okay, so Dan, if if that was to happen again, the unfathomable scenario of them at least just making MLS Cup in year two, do you think that forces the Hunts to consider rethinking their model? of how they have chosen to go about doing their on-field business? Or do you think they stick with it? I think that emboldens them, if anything, to say, well, you just have to finish seventh and you're in the race. Wait. 
But how does that re- how does that relate to Austin making the MLS Cup? Because it proves the point. If a second year team can do it, then anyone can do it. Oh, okay. Well, but they've been towards the top of the table the entire time. Yeah, but we're talking about the hunts. Logic doesn't necessarily apply. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just it makes me wonder if they would rethink their entire deal because their deal is is predicated on the business model of of the academy and homegrowns and growing kids and selling them off and playing them and stuff like that. But if another team in the state walks in and, you know, quickly assembles a team good enough to make it to the final, win it or not, I mean, I just think that is a really damning uh, result for the hunts and for Houston too, for that matter. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to um, exclude them from this. Um, uh, that the, I, I would have to think Probably at least some conversations so are thinking about it. Why? Well, they inherited the great San Jose team. They won two cups, and they haven't just been mediocre from day one. Yeah. Well, no, Houston has a ton of advantages. Everybody tells me about all the time that they don't seem to capitalize on. But I also don't think Houston has the uh, the banner of the academy and the homegrown success stories and selling kids to Europe that Dallas has. I mean, it. I mean, really, out of the three, Houston is the one that appears to be in the worst shape at this point because they don't really have anything to hang their hats on of value anymore. Yes, they have two MLS Cups, but that's been a long time since they've been successful. Yeah, they've had a decade of stagnation, and they don't have their their academy has not produced anything that helps their t- their first team yet. I mean, they they have one guy, but he's not. It's memory. Right. He's not particularly very good. It's not. It, he's probably like a worse than Brandon. You know, Brandon's only a roller coaster, but at least sometimes Brandon's really good. That yeah. was just trash. All right, so Dallas does have it's another three games in a week situation, and what's interesting about this is that they've got uh, L.A. and then they got to travel, and this is the man. This was the trip that I wanted to make, but life got in the way. I really wanted to go spend a week on the on the Pacific Northwest and attend both of these games. Uh, they have to go to Portland and Seattle, and uh, L.A. is its own kind of weird story um, with a series, you know, three losses and a win in their last four two wins and three losses in their last five. Portland's been on a bit of a run. They are an undefeated run in their last uh, six, three wins and three ties. And Seattle has been that weird, mysterious team where just when we thought they were about to uh, rise like their, do their annual rise like a Phoenix thing, they went on a three-game losing streak, although they did beat Colorado. So um, uh, this... The good news is, if you compare them to what Dallas has been dealing with lately, this is actually a run of three teams with a lower points per game average than people than the teams they were playing during their winless streak. So I don't know. This does feel like a dangerous uh, stretch run for Dallas, uh, and they may be chum in the water for these teams, but uh, at least statistically, this should be a little bit more of a fighting chance, Buzz. Yeah, these games are really important because these these three teams are seven, eight, and nine. These are three of the teams that are trying to knock you out of, of a spot. So these are these are you know these are six pointers, if you will, if you appreciate that kind of. Yeah, they definitely know. are. But when you look at when you look at Dallas over the course of the season, right? A lot of their positivity in terms of their standings comes from the first part of the season. That's why that win was so important last week because they're like 
In goals for, I think they're tied for fourth in goals against. This is all in the Western Conference. They're second in goals against. They're like, they're second in, in goal difference. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's a lot of positivity here with this team. They have a 500 road record. How often do we say that a 500 road record is a hallmark of a good team in Major League Soccer, right? So, you know, this team is still in a good position. There's still lots of good things happening. It's not. We shouldn't put the death knell on this team yet, but you know these are three really big games. You know, the, the, listen, they're all big. The Western Conference is tough. We've talked to death about how difficult the schedule was this year, but you know it's probably difficult every year. But the, these kinds of games, like a home game against LA Galaxy, who are, you know, maybe stumbling a little bit in the shadow of LFC, that's a huge game. If you can manage to get a point, you know, or even a win at a Seattle or a Portland, those are massive, massive points. If you can get some of those things, so. Um, you know, you never want to downplay any games, but these game three in particular, you know, loom as opportunities to cushion yourself and really separate yourself from the teams that don't belong in the playoffs. Well, uh, we talked about it on previous episodes. The schedule really doesn't afford any time down. I mean, we can carve this into little uh, three or four or five game parcels or even two game parcels. And if you just look at the rest of the schedule, I, I don't really see a let up at any point between now and the end of, and the end of the season. Yeah, the trouble here is the three games in a week, you know, and we've talked about the shallowness of this roster and you don't know what's going on with Siki and you don't know when Brandon's going to be back. So they're going to have some work to do in trying to figure out how to piece together a lineup in terms of, you know, I, I think given Brandon's circumstances, Siki almost has to start again. And if he can't make it out of the first half, man, you know, it, this thing is going to come apart quick mm-hmm. as we saw against Salt Lake, but yet they turned around and figured out how to grind it out. You know, I, I'm hoping that, that Salt Lake win can galvanize them a little bit because they're going to need that 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 camaraderie and that steel in these three games, you know, because you really can. Go, if you get a couple of results here this week, you're really going to go a long way to cementing yourself in the playoffs. Um. Okay. What else did we want to get into? Uh, well, we can, while you're pausing, we can do a quick shout out to Malachi Molina, who's a, one of the kids in the academy who's on my homegrown watch list. He's okay. the one. He's the one Dallas Academy player that was named to the MLS Next All Star Game. Yes, there's an All Star Game for Academy kids coming. I'm sure. Oh, that's was, right. There's all kinds of weirdness, probably with how the rosters were selected. Nonetheless, he's the one Dallas guy. Uh, he's a bright young player, I think, uh, who's a U17 and will be again this year. Um, a talented kid. I think eventually he's going to be a pro. So, uh, congrats to Malachi Molina for making that all, all, first ever MLS Next All Star Game. Uh, and talking about uh, purchasing players, inbound players, we also learned today that Dallas is uh, going to get a special check, a lovely check, uh, because Chris Richards is now going to play for Crystal Palace. That deal is done. I've seen, I think uh, I think Tom Bogert wrote that I think Dallas stands to make at least $5 million out of that deal, depending on how the incentives and bonuses go with Chris. I, you know, exactly how much they're going to get is complicated because he was only with Dallas for, you know, as a pro for six months and that was all on loan. And he was really only, you know, in the academy for like a year. So, you know, on paper, he was. Well, there was a here. there was a 35 percent sell on uh, on his in well, his contract is what they reported. Right. Today. Well, originally he was promoted, reported as 40 percent and then it was 35 and then there are some incentives. That, you know, I, there's no way I could possibly tell you how much money they're going to get. 
Right. You know, there's going to be some money. Consider it a gift. I mean, he never really played here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, he came through the academy for a year. He was a gift from Eric Quill, the gift that keeps on giving, you know, along with Chris Kappas, who was not able to keep giving because Houston screwed Dallas out of that. But, you know, at the same time, great that a guy from their system is getting that chance. Chris is a great kid, you know, genuinely a nice, jovial, fun guy. And, and I'm super hyped he's going to the EPL. And it's going to be great for Dallas to get some money. Now, these money comes in in payments, and it doesn't all come in one lump sum. But, you know, the, the hunts are adamant. They don't take money out of the club. It's going to get, They claim it's going to be, get reinvested. And if, if what Zanata told me was true, that they're kind of out of money, this gives them some, some more money to play with. So, you know, in terms of funny money, they're not out of money. I don't mean it that way. They're yeah, out of this funny money roster money. You know what I mean. Well, it certainly isn't coming in the form of a season ticket holder uh, check, right? Or a share check yeah, or profit sharing check or whatever. I don't think that happens anymore. <laughs> I just want somebody at some point to at least address that matter because it's just so weird that thing went away. The way my biggest did. takeaway, I was reading that athletic article today, and the biggest takeaway for me on that thing was that Lucci's the one that cut Chris Richards in the first place, and then he, apparently from this article, he didn't really want to take him back, and Quill kind of talked him into it. But Lucci's also the one that um, let Jonathan Tompkinson leave FC Dallas for Solar, who's now the kid who's now at Norwich. So. Nurch, sorry, Dan. So, Norwich. Yeah, Lucci apparently can't spot center backs. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Like Jose Martinez. Yeah, uh. yeah. In some ways, as much as I like Lucci, in so many ways, it's like apparently center back blinders are a problem for him. Yeah, he's got a blind spot. Yeah, that uh, that uh, I you know I read that article. And by the way, what Buzz is referring to is the Athletic wrote a big piece. Uh, Sam Sketchgall wrote a big piece about Chris Richards and kind of history, uh, his histrionics and how he ended up with Dallas, but got cut first and and tells the whole story that we've told on this podcast a hundred times. But the way that he tells the story about Lucci cutting him and then having to reconsider isn't the best light for Lucci. And I do, and I, and you know, I want to be fair to Lucci because I I do want to, at some point have to assume that there's like extenuating circumstances and context behind his decision. Like, well, do we really have a place for this guy at this time? Or, or, you know, other things going on. It's not like he's just got this ability just to take as many guys as he wants to. I don't know. Uh, It just, but the way the article writes it out just makes Lucci look really kind of, bad <laughs> in terms of skill evaluation of center backs it's it, <laughs> yeah well, it's, not, it's not a good look uh you, you'd have to go back and look at who their center backs were at the time and, and that's what they said was that you know the, at the at, they were looking to compete with more polished players in the moment and chris admittedly was really really raw right he was not playing at a high level at all and even they talk about that in the article how you know, his he took massive adjustments at Texans when he was working under Quill. Um, you know, Quill right away recognized his potential. Of course, you know, Houston Texans is not nearly the academy system that FC Dallas is. So, you know, they have the luxury to take a guy on like that, whereas Dallas maybe already had people in those spots. And if Chris didn't look, understandably look very good, you know, that's that's what it comes down to jokingly about Lucci and center backs or whatever. But I do remember the, the other side of that story is that I was there the first week that Chris and Kappas and Chris Richards showed up and they were in, and they joined the Academy and they immediately were in first team training. Like Oscar had them in with the first team uh, in FC Dallas camp, like the week they showed up to be in the Academy. Mm-hmm. And I, that was one of the, when I, I've told the story about watching Kappas play and having my soccer heart 
beat fast just watching Kappas and how excited I was about him. And the same was true of Richards. And after the practice, I went over to Oscar. I said, oh, my gosh, who are the two kids? You know, the kid in the middle is amazing. And, and Oscar's like, and the center back is incredible. And I said, yeah. So Oscar instantly saw how good Richards was and instantly saw how good Kappas was. You know, it, both of those guys were a gift from Quill, you know, and, and Quill did the right thing and recognizing that they, they did not need to stay with Houston Texans. They needed to go on to the next level. And, and I've even talked to people from that academy, like parents that were like, you know, we hated it, but also we all knew, you know, we all knew they needed to move on. So um, it was, it was, those kids were both a joy to watch come through the academy and well, it would have been the first team for Cabas, but was the first team for Richards for, five mm-hmm. minutes and he was in there in training all the time and his re- progression was remarkable. Well, that then brings me to the uh, curious story of one Justin Che, who I bitched and whined like a, a, like a, like a little kid when they loaned him over to Germany. And I do understand there's some extenuating circumstances with the fact that he's from there originally or lived in Germany and really thinks that he should be playing in the Bundesliga or something like that. But it's clear that Justin's just not ready for that level yet. He's not finding the time. Dallas needs a center back. And as far as I understand it, Dallas still owns him. Yeah. Why is he not back here playing in MLS? Is it simply just that he doesn't want to play in MLS? Is that all it is? I don't know. It, it may be like, you know, before I, right before I left is when the stories came out that Hoffenheim was, was going to kind of move on and they, but they, they wanted him to still develop but the problem is, is they don't own him. Dallas owns him. And so there were some reports that immediately followed that that basically said, like, you know, you can't you can't loan him to somebody else from Hoffenheim. The only thing you can do with him is send him back to Dallas. So but then nothing's happened since then. You know, it, it may be a question of, you know, coach doesn't want to if, – if he's interested in coming back, I don't even know if coach here would want him back because, you know, he is about – not being players that aren't around. I mean, look at Shun, right? So uh, I don't know that a, what is, what is Che, 19 now? I don't know that given his hesitancy, Coach Nico's hesitancy to not play anybody but Martinez, you know, he doesn't love the way <laughs> Tafari reads the game and passes. Quinones doesn't get playing time. I don't think there's no way in hell that he would play Che at center back. If Che comes back, he's going to be looking at right back again, and you're already going to have – so he'd be in the mix with Ima and Nanu. You know, now Che is more like Farfan in terms of like a defensive first outside back, so there would be a really nice balance there. So I can certainly see him getting minutes outside back if he does come back. I don't have any inside information that he is. All I saw was the reports that came out of Germany. You know, But mm-hmm. Dallas definitely still owns him, and Hoffenheim – the only thing Hoffenheim can really do is buy him or send them back. Those are your only two options, really. Well, it just it all seems too obvious that uh, if he really wanted some uh, quality playing time, he could be getting it back here in Dallas. And I don't quite understand why it's not. But maybe that maybe you answered the question. Maybe he's not really wanted, and he doesn't want to come back. So sit in Germany. He does. Um, okay. Anything else that we need to discuss? I think we've hit just about the hour mark at this point. Yeah, man, there's a lot in there. Um, Dan, you got anything? I mean, there's, there's a pretty, uh, important transfer on the, uh, yes. on the women's side of the game from, from the Metroplex, uh, Jaden Shaw signing for San Diego wave. Uh, anytime a league creates a rule just for you means you're pretty good. 
What was the what? What's that? What's the story behind that? Um, she's not eligible. Oh, she would have to wait until 2023 for the college draft. Um, a lot of European clubs were were looking at signing her, so basically they uh, NWSL created a new discovery rule uh, just so that she could be a, a discovery player while still 16. Peter, wow. you remember that's the girl we saw at the Dallas Cup that you oh, were yeah. like, holy smoke, who is that? Yes. And I was like, Jane Shaw, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the most yeah. impressive performances of any soccer player that I had never seen before. I, I just stood out like such a shining light in that game. That was a Dallas. It was was Dallas it the Cup, yeah. women's Dallas Cup game, yeah. and it was the final too. I wasn't think it, it was the U17 final, if I remember. Yeah, man, absolute baller, yeah. and I just uh yes, and I raved about her on the radio show. She's outstanding. That the game where she. Uh, she went and scored two goals on her former team. Yeah, she used to play oh, for FC Dallas. That's right. She to that's right. Yeah, there, yeah, she trains. She often trains with um, some of the MLS guys that do stuff on the side. She often trains with them. That's how good she mm-hmm. is. And one of those guys told me that she's the best female player they'd ever seen in their life. That's how good she is. You know, and that's pretty strong words because at the time, I think she was like fifteen or sixteen. That's <laughs> they told me that. Yeah, that chick is phenomenal. Yeah, looking forward to seeing more out of her. And how? And she's still only sixteen. Is that what I? How old is she now? I think she's now seventeen, going on eighteen. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Wow. Yeah, she's seventeen. Yeah, she's way okay. too good to go to college. No business going to college. That girl. I, she'll be with the national uh, team eventually. Yeah, she's you know she's had training stints with Paris Saint Germain before. I think Man City and Arsenal are supposed to be looking at. Uh, um, just announced to the uh, under twenty World Cup roster. Yeah, there's a, there's a women's U20 that just came out, and most of it is girls in college, and uh, Jaden Shaw, who's 17. So. What high school is she from? Do you know? Oh, man. Oh. Um, off the top of my head. Centennial? Centennial. Frisco? I think. Yeah, yeah. She, she's okay. from Frisco. So yeah. From Frisco. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, congratulations to her. That's fantastic, uh, and I very much anticipate seeing a lot more of her in the future. Uh, at various levels that's that's uh that's really cool all right well buzz uh well first dan i hope you're feeling better i know uh covid gave you a good kick in the kick in the sack there for several days i hope you're feeling better bud getting there all right are you gonna go are you gonna be at the game saturday i will be at the game yeah now that i'm uh out of the out of mls health and safety protocol all right. And um, <laughs> Buzz, I'm glad you made it home safely. I'm glad you had a fantastic time. You uh, well-deserved time off for you and your family. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was a big uh, in-law cavalcade of uh, fun. Hey, it's Buzz again reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new FC Dallas Camo Pre-Match top. Our shop this year is Dallas Burn gear available now. Oh, camo pre-match top. That sounds cool. And don't miss out on the new jerseys and tops from Manchester United, Juventus, and PSG. Remember, third-degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code thirddegree. Some exclusions apply. All right. Well, thank you uh, for your patience and sticking it out for two weeks and waiting for us to come back. You FC Dallas Curious fans, we will speak to you again next week after a whole bunch of wins, most certainly. And maybe we'll even do some post-game live stuff again. Just watch out on the Discord for another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Uh, yay, transfer window stuff. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never gets. Third degree, the third degree never gets.
Bye, Cat. Bye, Cat.